I believe that by the time our morning meeting is over, every one of us will at least hear, and maybe even every one of us will also know why the universe exists, why God created us, why we are alive at this very moment, what is the meaning of being a human being living now? What is the purpose and goal and significance of the Christian life? And where are we in the outworking of God's purpose? All this is revealed in the written word of God which needs to be rightly interpreted. And the Lord had a way over the centuries to raise up faithful teachers and then to bring forth the ministry of the age and the ministers of the age. So we stand on their shoulders and those that preceded them, worshiping the Lord for his Mercy. So I will come to the outline in about half an hour or so. But the outline won't mean very much if it's presented in isolation. So I begin as the Bible begins with God. In the beginning, God. A very important verse is Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. That verse, which is a verse of praise offered by the creatures, that verse tells us why all things exist. Revelation 4.11 says, all things were created. Because of God's will. We briefly sang hymn 10 on the eternal existence of God. He is the I am. Before there was any universe, any angels, there was the triune God. But in his being was a will. And stated simply, God's will is what he wants. So his will is the origin, the source of all of his acts of creation. In Acts 22, when Ananias, a brother, was sent to Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul. He mentioned certain things to this new believer. And he told him, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will. And to hear his voice. And you will see the righteous one. So God sovereignly chose 
our brother Paul to know what this will of God is. And in Romans, he reveals something. In Colossians, he reveals something. The highest revelation is in Ephesians. And he speaks a very direct word. And we need this direct word. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Remember, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, representing all the churches. He's speaking to all of us. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That is very direct. And the previous verse, well, starting at verse um, 15, he says, Look therefore carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is in this context. To be foolish is to not understand why a certain time has been measured out to each one of us to live and breathe on this earth. And last night, as on every Saturday night, people live the life of foolishness, wasting their time, squandering their time, having no realization of what the will of God is. So we need to know and understand what the will of God is. And then see under the Lord's shepherding care how this directs and is involved with our human life in all of its stages and in all situations. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this. We're speaking of God predestinating us unto sonship through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. In this verse, Paul connects God's will with predestination, with God's good pleasure, and with this term, sonship. Sonship refers to the status of a son. So the thought here is, God wants many sons. And he predestinated us for that. That is why we are all believers. 
why we responded to the gospel and others did not. So God's will is what he wants. And with God's will is his good pleasure, the desire of his heart. So God wants sons. And as the New Testament reveals, first in Christ and then in us, the function of a son is to express God the Father. And in Bible language, the term brothers includes male and female believers. The term bride includes female and male believers. The term sons includes the same. So this is what God wants. So based upon his will and the desire of his heart, God formed his eternal purpose. Mentioned in chapter 3. So the eternal God has an eternal purpose, meaning it was planned in eternity past. It will then be carried out through time and the result will endure forever. When the church in Anaheim decided that we would all read through the entire Old Testament with footnotes at a reasonable pace, it was two years, I was glad to just be a brother in the church, starting from Genesis 1. And I was so helped by a statement in one of the early footnotes that time exists for the fulfillment of God's purpose. Every human being who ever lived on this earth will be judged ultimately. All the believers in Christ will stand before the Son of Man And according to certain things revealed in the New Testament, we have reason to believe he will inquire, did you do my father's will? What did you live for? What did you accomplish? You were created because of God's will and purpose. If you read 2 Timothy 1.9, I saved you for God's purpose. What did that mean to you? How did that affect your life? And there will be believers, such as dear brother Watchman Nee, whom the Lord will realize you paid, you were absolutely devoted to my will and purpose. You paid a tremendous price, but now is your reward. But others will be there in two categories. Some believers will say accurately, 
I never knew. I was never taught. And the Lord will say, that's correct. Your teachers, your preachers, it was blind leading the blind. But then there'll be another category. Those that received faithful, clear ministry, presenting to us the truth concerning God's will. And you read Luke chapter 12. Those who know God's will bear a bigger responsibility than those who don't. So on the one hand, in the Lord's recovery, we are blessed beyond description. What has been dispensed into us, I owe, apart from my basic experience of salvation, I owe everything I understand spiritually to this ministry. But with this blessing is a responsibility. But based upon our knowing, we would then live accordingly. So let's advance and we'll quickly come, or maybe not quickly, but we'll come directly to our subject. So because God has this will and an eternal purpose, he created the universe, he created all positive things for the accomplishment of his will. So this brings us to our galaxy, to our solar system, to our planet, to where we are. And this is God's view of what's recorded in Genesis chapter 1. Remember, there was a council made among the three of the Godhead revealed in Ephesians 1. So everything was decided ahead of time. This is our will. This is the purpose. This is the way we will carry it out. We need to create a universe. And especially, we have to have something exceedingly important. So the triune God said, let us make man. Man is a focus. All that's in my heart will be carried out by man. My will, my purpose will be carried out by man. Man is the center. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the earth to subdue it and to represent us with authority and bring in the kingdom. And God's view, when he created was that he created a corporate man. We know, and he knows more than we, of course, we're all individual persons. But in our created human nature, 
There is the need for other people. We were not created to live in isolation. We are social beings. We are corporate in our very nature. So what God wants, what he wanted in Genesis 1, was to have on the earth human beings expressing him and representing him. That was God's Creation of man. And the reason for this creation was twofold. First and primarily, that God would be expressed through this image bearing man. And we know from Colossians 1.15, the image of God is Christ. Hence, to be made in God's image is to be made in the image of Christ. And now to fast forward a little bit, we are all being transformed into the image of Christ. And then because a rebellion had taken place in the universe and there was lawlessness and a battle for the earth, this man created by God will represent God with his authority, subdue the earth, deal with the enemy, and bring in the kingdom of God. That is why human beings exist. To complete the thought I began several minutes ago, the vast majority of humans will stand before the great white throne. And then they will realize My whole life was vanity, was wasted. And I point out, just as a kind of sidebar, there are no dead atheists. As soon as an atheist dies, he meets God. And so here we are, by the Lord's mercy in his recovery, And let's reconsider what we're doing here. We're not part of Christianity as a system. While I have breath, I will stand against anything that would try to make us part of Christianity as a religion. We are outside the camp. We have left Babylon to come back to Jerusalem. We are here to fulfill God's original will and purpose. So the general subject of the elders training from which we take these four outlines is the one new man fulfilling the purpose for which God created man, his purpose in creating man. So this original purpose will be fulfilled and can be fulfilled only by the church as the one new man. So the first man created, disobeyed God, the element of sin came in, ruined the first man. 
So in the time, according to God, the second man came. The Lord Jesus came. And he personally, in his God-man living, fulfilled God's purpose. Absolutely. He expressed God in everything he did, in everything he said. He lived by the Father. He did the Father's will, spoke the Father's word, expressed the Father's glory, carried out the Father's work. And his whole life was governed by the Father's will. In John chapter 6, he said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And when he was in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, the issue was, Father, can this cup pass from me? Is it possible? It's a dreadful thing. But not what I will but what you will. And then the cup and the will, they became one, they coalesced. So he drank that cup for us. We drank of another cup this morning, the cup of blessing. But our Lord Jesus, as the second man, personally, individually, Fulfilled Genesis one twenty six. I've already pointed out he expressed God in every word. And he was under authority and therefore could exercise God's authority to defeat the devil. To nullify the works of the devil. Then on the cross to destroy him. So one person, the God-man Jesus, fulfilled God's purpose. And God delights in his son. But God's will is to have a corporate expression. So this is a brief account of what happened. God created man, as we've seen, the first man. The first man fell and became the old man. Then according to 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the second man came from heaven, the Lord Jesus. When the Lord on the cross was dying, and when he died, he crucified the old man. Our entire old man was terminated when he died. Then according to Ephesians 2.15, in himself, he created with the Jews and the Gentiles one new man. Only God can understand how he is on the cross, yet in his being, He's creating. The second man terminated the first man 
and created the new man, then in his resurrection, he was born to be the firstborn son. And we know from 1 Peter 1.3, we were regenerated to be the many sons. That's why he could tell Mary, go to my brothers. I have brothers now. So it is a spiritual reality recognized by God and feared by the enemy through the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus. The one new man has come into existence. And this is a designation of the church as the body of Christ. So in the first message Friday evening, we had a clear presentation of God's purpose and of how this purpose is fulfilled by the church. Then in the second message, we considered the second man the Son of Man, the last Adam, Christ personally fulfilling God's purpose. Then he died, and in his resurrection, he himself became a prototype to reproduce himself in all of his believers. And this is in the Father's heart all the time as he views us. He wants to reproduce his firstborn son in all of us. Because in the new man, there's only one person. There may be millions of people, but only one person. And this one person, when he becomes corporate, by being reproduced in us, That is the one new man. And this one new man will fulfill Genesis 1.26. And our Lord Jesus cannot return and will not return until this has happened in the present age. All the sermons saying, oh, well, don't worry, we'll all end up in heaven and everything will be fine. That is a lie. We are on, what, we were created just so we can have our sins forgiven and go to heaven? That does not represent God, a God of purpose. So from God's point of view, we were saved for his purpose. Please read sometime, 2 Timothy 1.9. God saved us, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose. And now the Lord is blessing us by making known to us what this purpose is. And Paul is a pattern of so many things, 
So he told Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, you have closely followed my purpose. But he said in 1.9, God's purpose. But God's purpose became Paul's purpose. And Timothy could see it lived out. You closely followed it. You were with me. Now you know I'm in prison. You know I'm going to be martyred. This is all part of my purpose, Timothy. And Timothy could say, yes, Paul. Because when I followed your purpose, I followed God's purpose. I'm your spiritual son. Then Paul charged Timothy, fulfill your ministry. You have to do your part. So this is why we were saved. We were saved from a meaningless, vain human life to a life of purpose. Well, the church came into existence to be the body of Christ and the one new man to fulfill God's purpose. But then the enemy, in various ways, attacked the church. First tried to destroy it. When he couldn't do that, he changed his approach and decided to degrade it and divide it. So there was not on the earth a genuine church anywhere. So God reacted, beginning with Martin Luther, to have a recovery of the lost truths, of the misunderstand teachings, item by item, until almost a hundred years ago in China, took a major step. God decided, I will recover the genuine church life. I will release the light from the word to my servant, Watchman Nee. And I will cause him to see the obvious in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, the Lord said, I will build my church. The universal church. In chapter 18, he said, tell it to the church. Not to a church, the church. In Revelation chapter 1, he himself told John, write this down and send it to the seven churches. Then he named seven cities. Then when Jesus began to speak to each church, he mentioned to the church in Ephesus. This is clearly the New Testament revelation and practice. And by the Lord's sovereign mercy, we are in the recovery of this. We are at the highest peak of the Lord's recovery. Everything is coming together the high peak of the divine revelation. 
God's organic salvation, the truth concerning the kingdom, the truth concerning overcomers, the truth concerning the new Jerusalem. Now it just needs to be actually worked out. So the body needs to grow, and the body and the one new man are synonymous. So just as a human being, when a child is growing and the body matures, the person is also growing. So we are now at a blessed time, and I agree with the expression, a golden time in the Lord's recovery. We are on the verge of the Lord's move to consummate his purpose and to bring forth the one new man through the churches in the Lord's recovery. And we do this for God and for all the believers. Our heart is large. We're here on behalf of the Lord and on behalf of all believers. Whether you agree with this or not, that doesn't change our love for you or our attitude toward you. The overcomers represent all of God's people. So at the end of message two, we emphasize that Christ, who is the first human being to fulfill God's purpose, he is the prototype to be reproduced. And so now in resurrection, he is the life-giving spirit, dwelling in our spirit, desiring to grow in us, make his home in us, to transform us. Then last night, a very crucial matter was addressed with remarkable clarity. And that is... In Ephesians 4, we are told to put off the old man, the old manner of living, the the old corporate social life, and put on the new man, which is really another corporate life, the body life, the church life. But in between is this verse, Talking about be renewed in the spirit of the mind. The hindrances to God working out the one new man are in our mind. Because every one of us of necessity grew up in a certain way, in a certain culture. We have certain concepts, views, values. And this is what divides people. There is bitter enmity in various parts of the earth just because of cultural differences. So the Lord released through Paul this remarkable truth that in this one new man there are no races, there are no nationalities, there are no cultures. There is only Christ. Amen. 
Christ is all and in all. And, and that happened in Paul's own experience. He was a Jew to the uttermost. Absolutely devoted to that. Then the Lord came. He saw him. He saw God's will. And he counted everything loss. Suffered the loss of everything. Counted it as trash. I just want Christ for the new man. And so if this new man is to actually be expressed and actually represent God and express God, we all need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So the divine spirit mingled with our human spirit has become the mingled spirit. And this mingled spirit wants to saturate our mind, to renew our mind, so that we will all have the same mind, but not because of outward conformity. No, because of inward renewing. If that's the case, then let's just say co-workers come together from many, many nations, Different backgrounds. But then there is one person. One mind. One heart. One soul. One speaking. How powerful that will be. Everyone taking Christ as the person. Everyone having the same mind. We all have our portions. The Lord has expressed to us in various ways. But we have one goal, one work, one ministry, one aim. And this all depends on whether we will give the Lord access to all that has been structured into our mind. So even in the United States, if there's to be the one new man, the New York mind, and the New York attitude to the rest of the country that needs to be renewed, the southern mind, whatever it is. So this is an inward matter taking place in every one of us. Now we're coming, and almost there, to a crucial matter for this to be worked out. And that is the subject of message four, carrying out the stewardship of God for the one new man. And when I start reading the outline in about five minutes, and I'll finish in a way that will give us at least a half an hour to respond. I'm not going to take all the time but I need to release the full burden. In Ephesians 4, before Paul speaks of putting on the new man, he says this. 
He mentions that in verses 11, God gave to the body prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. So conferences and trainings are for perfecting. The brothers who do the perfecting cannot and will not directly build up the body and consummate the new man. That is the responsibility of all the saints for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of the ministry. So we need to see that the work of the ministry and the ministry is the dispensing ministry of supplying others with the Christ has been wrought into your being by being with them, by speaking with them. Every word out of your mouth is grace. Your tongue has been disciplined, trained. Every word is spirit and life. Unto the work of the ministry, unto the building up of the body of Christ, until we all arrive at the oneness of the faith, and of the full knowledge of the Son of God at a full-grown man. See, let's latch on to this. A full-grown man. It is all the saints, not the co-workers, not the speaking brothers, not the prophets, not the evangelists, not the shepherd teachers, not even the apostles. It's all the saints will participate in this one ministry of ministering Christ to others so they can be saved to one another so that they can advance. And this is necessary to arrive at a full-grown man. I don't mean to say anything light, but God's purpose will not be fulfilled by one new boy. If we remain immature, we'll cost the Lord, who knows, decades of time. So there is this ministry here with the goal of arriving at a full-grown man. Now with this in mind, we come to Colossians and we read chapter 1, verse 25 but I need to add to it. But I reread 25. The church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship of God. So he's a minister according to the stewardship of God. Now we need to see what is this stewardship of God? What is its function? So Paul says he became a minister according to the stewardship of God. Then down in verse 28, he's referring to Christ, whom we announce admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom 
that we may present every man full grown in Christ. The enemy's strategy this morning must be exposed and it must be judged. And we all need to agree with the Lord's judgment on this. And then to have a very positive response. So I will, I will address him. I'll say, en- you enemy. You liar. You deceiver. You have been holding back the growth in life for many decades. Now I'm telling you, your time is over. Amen. From now on, all over the earth. We will grow normally, day by day, until we arrive at a full-grown man. We will not be held back anymore. One by one, we will contact the Lord and come to Him just as we are. Forget the past. Forget the things that are behind. We all have the time we need. Day by day, Lord, I'm a redeemed vessel. I turn my heart to you. I open my being to you. Dispense yourself into me. Grow in me. Make your home in me. Renew me. Do this for the one new man. But in relation to this is a stewardship. So let me define what it is, say a little bit, then we'll go through the outline. Then I believe the outline will make sense and will be a help. God has an economy. No surprise, the Greek word is oikonomia. And Paul uses this word in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. Then in chapter 3, verse 2, he he speaks of a stewardship, which is the same word. But now it's applied not to God, but to us. God's economy is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us to produce his corporate expression. This is the economy itself. And the focus, experientially, is this word dispensing. Dispensing. You consider when an infant is born, what is the immediate need once we're sure the little one is breathing? It's for food. Life depends on dispensing. Growth depends on dispensing. Function depends on dispensing. Revelation 22 shows us a river of water of life proceeding out of the throne. In the river is the tree of life. This indicates an eternal dispensing. We will never be self-sufficient. We will forever be dependent. This is the principle of the tree of life. An elderly 
Chinese-speaking brother in his 90s now. Something uttered in a prayer more than 40 years ago is with me still. He not only said, Lord, we love you. He said, Lord, we cannot live without you. And so God's economy is focused on his dispensing to produce his expression. Now he needs first the apostles, but then all of us to have what's called the stewardship. So with God, it's an economy. For us, it's a stewardship. And that is a service in which we dispense into others the Christ who has been wrought into us. The one new man will not simply arrive at a full-grown man all suddenly all by itself. There is the ministry in Ephesians 4 of the perfected saints. That's why for more than, what, since 1970, what, from 1984, 35 years, God has been fighting to recover the God-ordained way to serve, to meet, to tear down the clergy-laity system. Because everyone's portion matters. I say again from the depths of my being, it's not the gifted brothers that will build up the body. It's the perfected saints. They will do the work of the ministry. No, they won't write outlines. They won't travel the earth. They won't conduct conferences. They will be normal brothers and sisters in the church. But every time they pray, every contact you have with them, you receive dispensing. The gossip stops. The speaking of death stops. Paul mentions just words of grace could come from you. This is the stewardship. And it's a ministry of dispensing. And Paul was given this stewardship. And Paul said in second and first Timothy 1.16, he's a pattern. So the apostles will make us the same as they are in function, not in degree. So just as we all are ministers, we all are stewards. I tell the trainees from time to time to put this into them. When there's a time of sharing. And I tell them, okay, you want to share something? But someone else shared the same point that you want to make. Then you feel, oh, I don't need to speak. I tell them again and again, no. Even if we all spoke the same point, you need to realize you have a portion of Christ 
You have a portion of grace that no one else has. No one else. If Paul were here, he would not have it. Only you. It's measured out to you. You're a particular member. You are irreplaceable. You are indispensable. Isn't this how you view every member of your body? Even your little toes? Say you had no thumbs and no big toes. You would still live. It would really be awkward. How do you hold a pen? If this just would dawn on us. If somehow the Lord could carry out this radical action of actually activating the one talented members. Brother Nee said he'd gain the earth. Everyone in this room who's a believer, you have a portion of Christ that only you have. You have a measure of grace that only you have. And as you grow in the Lord, this measure increases. And the only way we can have that aspect of Christ is through you. This is the stewardship. This is the ministry. Now we can read the outline. I know it's long, but we'll be done in time for much response. Carrying out the stewardship of God for the one new man. So the goal in this, of caring for people, of shepherding them, of suffering with them, of serving them, of dispensing Christ into them, is the one new man. I just, I'd like to close my eyes and just spiritually dream a little. What would be the situation three years from now? Five years from now, if 50,000 saints in the Lord's recovery all over the earth would just do this day by day, what would happen? Something unprecedented would be manifested on the earth. The full-grown man. Never seen before. Never manifested before. And that will be the bride who is ready. In order to carry out God's economy, God must have stewards to serve, minister, manage, and execute his economy. The Greek word for steward is of the same root as the word for economy. In 1 Timothy 1.4 and Ephesians 1.10, it means a dispensing steward, a household administrator, who dispenses the household supply to its members. A steward is a dispenser, one who dispenses the divine life supply to God's children. The apostles were appointed by the Lord to be such stewards. The dispensing service, the stewardship, is the ministry of the apostles. Those of us who were here long enough to be directly under Brother Lee's ministry. We attended 
life study trainings and other trainings while he was here. Just reflect upon it. What did he do every time he spoke? Every time. He dispensed Christ into us. Every time. No matter what the subject was. That's the stewardship. And I have this thought. You can consider whether it's accurate or not. Every word we speak is a dispensing. Now you don't, there's just no way of telling you how many problems have been caused just by talk. There's a problem exists. Okay, it's a real problem, but it, it's just about that big. Then the talking, the talking about it makes it this big. Spreading opinions, feelings, taking sides, taking positions. There's quite a light. Everything that comes out of my mouth is a dispensing. It's either life or death. It's either Christ or self. It's either new or old. But if we allow Christ to make his home in us and saturate us and realize from Romans 8.10, our spirit is life. Our spirit is Zoe. You go to work tomorrow and you greet your fellow workers and you say, hi, how are you? You say that from your spirit. You minister life to that person. You just say hi. That's your spirit. You have conversations with them over a period of time. I believe eventually you're going to get a text. You'll get a text. They'll say, I need to talk to you over lunch. Can we have lunch together today? When I was teaching in high school, we didn't have text then. We had to send a courier with a written note saying, I need to see you at lunch. This teacher friend, Don Wolfson. And so, I said, what do you want to talk about? He said, I guess I want to talk about religion. Because that's the best he could put it. I said, I can't tell you anything about religion, but I can tell you about Christ. And he got saved. You could just sense the flow into him. We can all do this. We're branches in the vine. We can do this. B, in God's economy, revealed in the New Testament, there are mainly two mysteries. The first ministry revealed in the book of Colossians is Christ as the mystery of God, God's expression. The second mystery revealed in the book of Ephesians and explained in it is the church as the mystery of Christ. In the dispensing ministry, it is most important that stewards be found faithful. Look at all those verses. They're found faithful. And Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians somewhere, I just have to tell you what I think as one who has received mercy from the Lord to be faithful. In Revelation 17, when there's a picture of the Lord coming with his overcoming army, we're told the Lord overcame them, the enemy, 
And also the ones with him overcame those who are called, chosen, and faithful. Isn't that what the Lord said to the faithful serving ones? Good and faithful servant. He just wants us to be faithful. I won't mention anyone, but there's a brother in my heart. He's in Anaheim. He's been in the recovery at least since 1962. Just an ordinary brother. Will never give a message. Will never be an elder. But he has a particular portion. I believe in that day, the Lord will look at him and say, Well done. You were faithful. You were faithful to what I gave you. Well done. Two, in the New Testament, New Testament economy of God, there is the desperate need for the stewardship of God. The stewardship is God's divine arrangement to carry out his New Testament economy. The economy of God has become the stewardship of God given to all believers. Amen. All believers. Lord, please show us this. All believers. In Ephesians 3, Paul uses the term oikonomia with two denotations. And in relation to God, oikonomia denotes God's economy. And in relation to us, oikonomia denotes the stewardship. The stewardship of God is according to the economy of God. With God, it is a matter of economy. And with us, it is a matter of stewardship. The stewardship of grace is the dispensing of the riches of Christ into our being so that we may grow and become the church. This is the one thing the Lord wants to do for us every day. I hope you have this realization morning by morning. You come to him, he wants to dispense more of himself into you. How can you dispense into others without receiving the dispensing directly? All of us receive dispensing and then spontaneously we're stewards. You're not even aware of it. There's so many times my feet have been washed. I remember after that rebellion in 1978... Something had taken place into me, in my being, that I was deeply hurt. Almost traumatically wounded. And I made a decision. I'll never trust a brother again. I'll never be open and trust a brother again because something so precious, a confidentiality, was exhibited. And then after a meeting... A brother may be 15 years older than I. He wasn't an elder at that time. He was a plumber. And he just spoke a few words to me. He said, Ron, you've been hurt. And he said a couple other things. And with those words, the healing started. He didn't tell me to do something He didn't obligate me to do something. He just recognized. And and bore the feeling. Then he spoke. 
I don't know where I would be without that two-minute contact. Just a brother dispensing into me so that I wouldn't be lost in 1978, but preserved by mercy and grace directly from God and through members of the body of Christ. Okay. See, the central point of the whole Bible is the desire of God's heart to dispense himself. Okay? You gotta see why in here. To dispense himself. God's economy is to carry out the dispensing of himself into man. The one new man who can fulfill God's eternal purpose receive God's continual and eternal dispensing. This is what we all need. If we really want to live for the one new man to be worked out in the Lord's recovery, then every day we should receive dispensing. No matter what has happened to us, no matter what our failure is, we have, we have faith in the Lord's blood. We have Christ as the reality of the offerings. We won't be defrauded anymore by the enemy. Lord, I had this failure. Yes, I did. Now I'm coming back to the God of mercy and grace. I'm coming right now through the blood of Jesus. Shut your lying mouth. I overcome you by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, I'm here. Please continue the dispensing. Like a steady stream, God dispenses himself little by little into those who are parts of the new man. Little by little. Again, Lord, what would happen if all over the earth, every day, there's a little by little dispensing into thousands of parts of the one new man? What would it be like when we come together like in the December training and thousands come together in one accord and release the dispensing. Then the ministry dispenses and then the saints dispense when they respond. They dispense in the tests. They dispense in their prayers. They dispense in the prophesying. Dispensing, dispensing, dispensing. Amen. You can summarize the whole message this morning. It'll be maybe 80 minutes long. One word, dispensing. Amen. We receive dispensing. Amen. That's in God's economy. We impart dispensing. That's the stewardship. You can do this. Amen. We can all do this. Amen. D, Paul's stewardship was to complete the word of God in order to dispense Christ with all his riches into the churches. Although Paul was used in the completion of the divine revelation centuries ago, there is still a need for its completion in a practical way today. Satan, the enemy of God, is seeking to nullify the completion of the word of God. It is the subtlety of the enemy to veil the word, which was completed through Paul. Without the completion of the word of God, God's purpose cannot be fulfilled and Christ cannot obtain his bride or come with his kingdom. What we are ministering today is the completion 
of the divine revelation given to Paul. This is where we are. And what has been revealed to Paul has been fully recovered. What has been revealed to John has been fully recovered. We're at the peak. This is a golden time. Let's wrap it up. Let's finish it. In the Lord's recovery, we need more stewards who are able to complete the word of God. And so there, we, when we shepherding involves teaching, you're caring for someone, they're not clear about the human spirit, you just help them know. You don't need to send an email to a co-worker to come. You're the one. You're the steward. You can take care of this. This is your spiritual child. You've got the supply. And actually, there's more in you than you ever realize. When it starts to flow out, you will be revived yourself. Amen. Three, the stewardship of God is the stewardship of grace. The stewardship of grace is the economy of grace to carry out God's New Testament economy. Grace is God himself in Christ as the Spirit given to us, gained by us, and enjoyed by us. This is grace. I know the, the elementary systematic theology definition is grace is unmerited favor. That's true for first grade. That's true. But when John tells us the word became flesh, full of grace and reality, is he saying the word became flesh, full of unmerited favor? When Paul was suffering from the thorn, the, the Lord said, my unmerited favor is sufficient. No. Grace is God himself in Christ as the Spirit coming into us in a joyful way to be what we cannot be, to bear what we cannot bear, and to do what we cannot do. Amen. This is grace. Amen. And the more the grace flows, the happier you are. I'm, I'm getting refreshed right now. When grace is just flowing in the holiest place, touch the throne of grace, grace as a river shall flow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grace as a river shall flow. The grace given to us in Christ was bestowed on us before the world began. God who was in the beginning became flesh in time as grace for man to receive possess and enjoy making God contactable, touchable, receivable, experienceable, enterable, and enjoyable. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is the bountiful supply of the triune God who is embodied in the Son and realized as a life-giving spirit enjoyed by us through the exercise of our human spirit. You know something that I think all the saints need? We all need more enjoyment of God. Amen. And grace brings the God of enjoyment to us. It's not a, a superficial thing. It's a very deep, Supply. When Brother Nee wrote his last words saying, I have maintained my joy, 
in the midst of that kind of suffering for 20 years after suffering decades before that, that shows he lived a life of grace. Nothing the enemy could do using that imprisonment could stifle that. I have maintained my joy. So those who enjoy the Lord are the deepest believers because grace is sufficient. It just flows. And we are able to speak words of grace to one another. May the Lord actually shine on all of us and lead us to confess and repent of every damaging word we ever spoke, especially in the context of the church. I'd rather have it cleared up now than there. Then he would do this in order to bless us to say now, I will train you to speak words of grace to everyone about everything. And if you cannot speak a word of grace, you don't speak any word at all. This is grace reaching us. For grace is the divine trinity transmitted into us for our enjoyment, for our enjoyment. The manifestation of the triune God and his embodiment in three aspects. The grace of the Lord is the Lord himself as life to us for our enjoyment. The love of God is God himself as the source of the grace of the Lord. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit himself as the transmission of the grace of the Lord with the love of God for our participation. That's quite a deep utterance. The Lord just wants to give himself to you as grace all the time. Little b, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord is mentioned first because this book is on the grace of Christ. The Holy Spirit, as the circulation, the transmission of the grace of Christ, with the love of God, the love of the Father, is the supply in our Christian life and church life. This is what the stewardship is doing. So first we need to receive this dispensing. And we should come to the Lord, turn our heart to him, open our being to him to be an open vessel, and pray for and receive the Lord's dispensing. And then in all humility, we should be able to receive dispensing from any member of the body. Any member. We don't have any preference. No preference among co-workers, no preference among the leading brothers. Any member of the body, that's what Paul learned. He said, Lord, what should I do? He said, it will be told you. Then he just sent a common member to represent him. I remember my first Lord's table meeting in Los Angeles, or one of the first. I didn't know anything, so I prayed to the Father while we were remembering Christ. And everybody knew that was out of order. I didn't know. Then one simple brother after me, afterward, he came up to me. He didn't correct me. He just said, in the Lord's table meeting, there are these two parts. And the first part, we're remembering the Lord. Our focus is on him. And in the second part, we turn in and we worship the Father. 
That's all he said. He didn't say, but you, 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 you made a mistake. You caused disorder in the meeting. He didn't do that. I'm so thankful. It was just a member that helped me and corrected me. I appreciate him to this day. He's with the Lord now. I hope to see him. If not in the kingdom, we hope we'll certainly meet in eternity. I want to say thank you, Glenn. Way back in 1966, you shepherded me. Are you willing to dispense into anyone and receive dispensing from anyone? This is the one new man. Okay. Three, day by day, a marvelous divine transmission should be taking place. Wow, a marvelous divine transmission. God is supplying the spirit of grace bountifully, not with an eyedropper. Okay, here you are. Here's a little little drop of grace. It's like putting the drops in my eye for glaucoma. No, it's not a drop. It's a river. Continually flowing. The gospel of the grace of God is the stewardship of grace to dispense God into people for their enjoyment. Can you think of one person, one person that you know that isn't saved, that you would like to see that person saved? Then why don't we pray for at least one person that the gospel of grace would reach that dear person and that the rest of their life would be full of joy, full of meaning, full of purpose and that you would be blessed to be the channel of grace to that person. E, the practical life and building up of the body of Christ comes forth out of the inward enjoyment of Christ as the grace of God. The inward enjoyment of of Christ. So again, let's come to the Lord as we are and just ask, how much inward enjoyment do I really have? But I don't want to live just in terminology. And then you just pray positively, Lord, for the sake of the one new man, be my inward enjoyment. By grace. There's a prayer I pray every day spontaneously. I learned it from a life study message that I was reading. I had heard the message, I had edited the message, but I didn't get the point until I read the message some years later. A prayer of Brother Lee. Lord, supply me with today's portion of grace. And I'd like to testify to you. His grace is always sufficient. Just ask him. The last word in the Bible is about grace. God's last word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now we're finishing up. Those who bear responsibility in the churches (coughs) need to share in the stewardship of God. This is especially a word to those taking responsibility. The elder should take the lead to dispense the riches of Christ into others. Just a kind of sober word to the leading ones, whoever they are. It's quite a serious thing for you to be 
contacting a saint or even giving some direction to a saint without grace, then that's a misrepresentation of God's authority to a member of the body. This is much more serious than most brothers and sisters just making a mistake. Moses made the one mistake, he couldn't go into the good land. Whether we like it or not, those in the lead, those in the ministry and the work, they're representing God. And we speak from ourselves to anyone, harshly, legally, strictly, inhumanly. They, they, they may not respond, but you may not see that person again. Or that person may never come to you again. And then the enemy will take advantage of that wound to destroy someone. This is a responsibility and it's a desperate need. All those who take the lead in the Lord's recovery and bear responsibility for the care of the churches need to realize that they have a part in such a divine stewardship. Now let's read... And whatever language you want to read in, it can be a little cacophonous. That's a fancy word for a lot of noise going on at the same time. Let's read Romans 5 and A and B all together. And that's the end. Because... 